0: Thanks for tuning in to the Owl's Nest. Today, Jake and I are going to take a look at how the San Francisco Shock put the beat down on the Philadelphia Fusion last week in the Overwatch League Summer Showdown. Welcome back to our regulars, and hello to any new viewers. If this is your first time visiting the Owl's Nest, make sure to hit that subscribe button and like the video. Of course, along with me, as always, is Jake Lyon. And, uh, Jake, we're just going to jump right into it here. We thought that this match against the San Francisco Shock and the Philadelphia Infusion was going to be one for the ages. Two Titans duking it out against one another. Two of the top-seeded teams in the league. And, well, we didn't quite get exactly what we wanted to. And that first match as well, man, hoof. What were your thoughts, uh, you know, watching this unfold, what were your thoughts on exactly what we saw from the Fusion and from the Shock?
1: Well, just to set the stage, I mean, coming into this, Fusion was even ranked above the SF Shock. They may still be, yeah. I think, technically in terms of map score, but I don't think anybody is going to be thinking that way, at least as far as how strong these teams look <laughs> uh, going forward to the rest of the season, because uh, this is just a beatdown, as you said, uh, you know, I think, I think from top to bottom, Fusion played a pretty standard game, a game that, a strategy that probably would have beaten a lot of teams just on the merits that Fusion has with, with, you know, being mechanically strong players. They probably could have gotten a win off a lot of teams, but just not the shock, not today, because, man, they were just strategically on another level. They made all these little innovations to the strategy that just showed how much more comfortable they are in the double shield meta than, than Fusion is.
0: So, what exactly was it that you saw? Because, uh, you know, that first map on Elios, I think, was probably the worst that they had it and You know, after halftime, that was a little bit more competitive, but you know when we saw uh, Carpe on the tracer trying to go up against um, oh no, I'm blinking. Ons uh, Ons on the Widowmaker was just completely dominating on Lighthouse.
1: Yeah, you know I think um, Carpe and Hisu are incredibly good players, but Stryker and Ons are are even better in my eyes. Like they're, these are you're talking about the very best players in the league, so it's very hard to make those distinctions. But when Ons is able to play Widowmaker in particular, he just looks absolutely fearsome. Um, And I think that that, at least on Ilios, was what really made a huge impact on the match. Uh, On Lighthouse, the mid-fight maybe is a little risky to play Widowmaker, but Chalk, they make it work, they get the mid-fight. But from that point on, uh, there was never a a moment of Lighthouse that was in contention because Ahn's just on that unstoppable high ground, nobody can get to him. Fusion just did not have an answer for the Widow pick in that circumstance, and they never retook point, which is pretty rare on Koth. Usually you at least cap point when the enemy gets to 99 Usually there's that well, I, tempo swing, but it wasn't if there if, for the Fusion.
0: Yeah, and if, if I remember correctly, I think the only person from the Philadelphia Fusions team that actually touched the point on Lighthouse was Bob.
1: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, there's no point really in, in going early point pressure in that comp because it's not really going to get you anything except another chaser fighting you, probably with more resources. So you, you do need to like play to win the fight um, from from Philly. They can't really play for capture or anything, but um, just never had an opening because Ons is playing at such an incredibly long range where... Hisu, it's just it's almost an impossible matchup for Hisu uh, on the Ash. He's just, a, a, you know, a, a damage falloff range, and Ons is, you know, able to just basically stand still. Knows that there's no pressure on him because Tracer just can't get to that position. So strategically, I think on that first round, that was like just great play by the Shock to run Widowmaker. Mm-hmm. But then as we went to Well, I thought, okay, Philly can turn this around here because Ash is probably going to get a lot more value on Well, and, and you know, Widow is a lot closer sight lines, a lot more difficult to play Widow. There's nowhere on the map really that. Um, at least in the mid fight that Tracer can't get to you when you're playing Widow. So so you're a little bit more exposed, but somehow on's just made it happen again and picked off the Batiste and Boombox, which is, I think the number one, most important pick you can make in like early on in a fight in that comp, you basically need to retreat if that player goes down, uh, which is exactly what happened. So even though that round was a little bit closer, you know, Philly, I think they did get control at one point on's just kind of dismantled them. And, you know, it just felt like the Widowmaker got way too much done for the shock. It's been a consistent theme for them really. Um, the fact that ons widowmaker they like where, where most teams have stuck with the ash prioritize the shield damage uh, and the bob ons widow he's just so consistent in getting these pickoffs against the best players in the world you just have to respect him and you know people are asking me like how do you beat the shock i'm like i don't know how you beat them on this meta you just need a dual widowmaker dual ons which is like if that's your win condition you're not feeling too happy facing the shock
0: yeah, now obviously going into the second match on Hanamura, we saw the Shock again just run away with it. Uh, they capped both those points, and I, I think going into the second point, they had somewhere around like a five or maybe six minute time bank, uh, and then the Philadelphia Fusion weren't able to capture point B. Uh, you know what was it here that the Philadelphia Fusion just weren't able to break through when it came to the the Shock's defenses?
1: Well, I mean, I think the defense was relatively standard from the Shock. One thing I really liked though is that they put Rascal off of Brig to uh, DPS. They had him play May, which he's really really strong at. But um, the defense going well is a little bit more standard. Like, that is Hanamura pretty common, actually, for teams not to make much progress on second point um, mm-hmm. just because of how hard that is to push, especially against a hero like May. So while a lot of teams haven't run May there, I, I really like Shock's choice because I think that hero has just always been insane on Hanamura, especially point B. Uh, so if you can work it in and it's a good comp for Mei, then, like, you, you really should be playing it. But what stood out to me about Hanamura was the way Shock attacked point B. Like, that looked like... It totally reminded me of the way... Um, the Shanghai Dragons pushed that, that same point in an earlier match they used a sim teleporter to get their Sigma uh, and um, one other player over to the coast uh, and then they you know did that same play where they're flanking in from multiple angles mm-hmm. but Shock did it with a Maywall so it basically accomplished the same thing boosting Choi Hobin uh, and Rascal over to that flank side they get met up with their Batiste and they just dominate in that 3-3 split and there was a moment there where if you just pause the video once Shock had taken that high ground and Philly was sort of chasing them, trying to trying to get them off of it, that if you just pause the video and you don't know who's attacking, who's defending, it looks like Shock is the defenders. They're in the spot <laughs> that defenders want to be when they put when they stop an attacking push. Like that is like that is exactly what defenders want to do, but somehow they flip the script. So to be the attacking team and somehow. Before the fight even has really begun, you're in the defender position is just like, that's incredible strategy and game planning. That's not even like some sort of mechanical domination where Philly's outclassed. It's just that strategy is so effective that they had a huge advantage in that fight before it even really started. So that's the type of thing that, you know, a coach like Krusty, I'm guessing, is is adding to the squad and giving them those executes that take them to the very next level. I think it just shows, Shock is so comfortable with the basics of the double shield comp that they're... Like By the time the week starts, they're ready to innovate. They're not trying to catch up and learn learn oh, how do we play this comp fundamentals. They they already know all that stuff. So they can just completely focus on where are we going to innovate? Are we going to change things, break the norms? Uh, which is something that a team like Philly, I think they were probably just a little bit slow to that level of gameplay, still catching up on just getting the execution solid in the first place.
0: Now, Obviously, after the half going into Rialto, we did see it looked like the Philadelphia Fusion came alive a little bit more. This match was a little bit closer, but... You know, the Shock still ran away with it. Uh, so my question to you is, if the, if the Philadelphia Fusion would have been playing at the same level that we saw after the half, do you think that they might have actually had a chance against the Shock, or do you think we were still looking at a 3-0 and sweep?
1: Well, maybe. I mean, it definitely was better after the half. Like, they definitely rallied a bit, but remember, Shock still capped Rialto with a ton of extra time. <laughs> That's, like, yeah. way above average on that map. Usually, if you cap last at all, it's a win, In overtime, so if you cap with extra time, you're in a very dominant position, generally speaking, on Rialto. Uh, Very defender-sided map. You can kind of hold on any point, realistically. We've seen a lot of teams hold on all three points of the map. So, as an attacker, to get that level of time bank is like, you are kind of dominating. And then Philly, like, they failed that last attack, but it wasn't like they beefed. It was like they were in an unwinnable situation. Maybe not unwinnable, but it was a really, really bad situation where they're down in ults in the final fight. So, I mean, while the map was, like, closer than the other ones... I don't think it was a genuinely close map. So I really think Philly was just outclassed here in a way that I wasn't expecting. But when Watchpoint, I think they brought up a great screen showing um, hero playtime actually in the May Melee, and it showed that that Philly had been favoring these Rein May Diva comps, these fast rush based compositions. Where they're trying to you know move in quickly with a Reinhardt and cleave the enemy. Um, Shock has been playing BAP like 99% of the time. And Arissa and Sigma both above 80%. I think Orisa's over 90. Sigma like 85, 88 or something mm-hmm. like that. So they're so comfortable in this Arissa Sigma, BAP. They've been playing those heroes almost nonstop now. And, and I totally agree with that because I think these heroes are the best heroes in the current meta. Um, or at least I guess the last meta because we are we did get a new patch. But um, for that, for, at least for the upcoming Summer Showdown, I think they are the best team. Uh, on that patch, like, with the double shield. They look so comfortable. They can flex. They have insane players on every roll. I-, I don't know how you stop the Shock, frankly.
0: All right, well, so final question then. Uh, you know, this is only the first time that we've seen them win up against each other, and as you said, on the standings, the Fusion are ranked above the Shock. Uh, looks by, by one win and three-map differential. But the top three teams, between the Dragons, the Fusion, and the Shock, they all have two losses under their belt, and we you know when it comes to Overwatch, as I like to say, anything can happen on any given payload. So, do you think that the performance we saw from the Shock, do you think that their level of dominance over the Fusion might have just been you know a little bit of an off day for the Fusion? Or do you think that any time they go up against each other, we should expect this level of dominance from the Shock over Philly Fusion?
1: You know, I, I did predict Shock to win the overall season. I do think they'll be our first two-time champions in the Overwatch League. Mm-hmm.
0: However, I,
1: I do think it's heavily dependent on the meta. Like, I don't think it would have been like this one-sided... If we had seen a meta that was like that every time everyone's focusing like a Ryan May comp, like I think Shock could play that well. But I think the, the difference was massive in double shield meta. But if you took it to another meta, if they're playing like a rushing comp or a dive comp, that is where I think it would be a lot closer. Because I think Philly is an incredibly strong team. And this double shield poke style is just their worst of all the styles that they can play. So they were playing into a strategy that I think is very uncomfortable for them. And still, I mean, to be fair, you know, doing decently well. Like, they played a standard game, as I was saying. Like, it wasn't, they didn't do something crazy innovative. So that's why the Shock kind of, you know, destroyed them was the innovation that Shock Brand brought to the table. But Philly did play very standard, very stock style. They, they like, played the default. But if you go to those other metas, that's where Philly is going to be more comfortable. And that's where they're going to be able to bring in the adaptations Bring in those next level plays and unique strategies that it seems like you kind of need in the modern era of the Overwatch League to actually get wins on the top teams. You need to be inventive to do something they haven't expected that they haven't planned for because these teams have planned for a lot at the top level. So I do think in a different meta, we could see a much more competitive match between these two teams.
0: Alright, well that's going to be it for today's Owl's Nest, guides. Make sure you check out our other videos here on the channel. Last week we talked about the dominance of the Widowmaker Tracer meta in the APAC region, something that we saw a little bit of once Hero Pools went away for the Summer Showdown. And keep your eyes open through the weekend as we highlight some of the DPS players' performance in the Summer Showdown and talk a bit about the Baptiste and Brigitte Healer meta. Otherwise, visit CheckpointXP.com for a wealth of other content, video, and otherwise, and if you haven't already... Make sure you're following Jake. That's JakeOW on Twitter and uh, YouTube and Jake underscore OW on Twitch. Until next got time, guys, stay on the payload. Hey, what's up? It's James. And Robbie. Hey, and it's Weirdbeard. And we're bringing you a brand new radio show called Checkpoint XP. You don't have to be an expert, even though I am. And we're here to give you everything you need to know about the world of video games. Interviews from the biggest professionals and your everyday gamers. We've got you covered at Checkpoint XP. Whether you're a professional player or somebody who hasn't played in a while, we have something for everybody. Hang out with us at Checkpoint XP every single week on your radio.
1: Find out where we're playing in your hometown at our website, CheckpointXP.com. So if you're looking to have some fun and talk about video
0: games, we got the rundowns for things that matter to you. Checkpoint XP, your home for esports and gaming.
1: Got it that time. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Owl's Nest, guys. Today, Jake and I are going to highlight some of our favorite DPS players from Week 3 of the Summer Showdown in the Overwatch League. Welcome back to all of our regular viewers and hello to anyone new that happens to be joining. If this is your first time visiting the Owl's Nest, make sure that you hit that that subscribe button, turn the notifications on, and like the video. So, Jake, uh, the other day we talked about the dominance of uh, the San Francisco Shock over the Philadelphia Fusion, but today I wanted to take a look... A little bit of one of the Shock players, but also a few of the other players. Some of the standout performances that we saw through Week 3 of the Summer Showdown. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite one of my favorite players, favorite teams. I know there's a little soft spot in your heart for them as well. But Dante of the Houston Outlaws, uh, specifically his Tracer play last week, was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I wanted you to maybe help highlight a little bit of what made his Tracer play so unique in what we saw. I mean, he got a lot of multi-pulse bomb kills. Uh, doing something that I think that the casual viewer may not have noticed but uh, you know the casters at the time had pointed out to us
1: yeah you know I think Dante he's just a player with really great fundamentals on tracer uh, and, and great awareness I think one of the things I always see Dante doing when I watch his POVs is he's always focused on like getting a good perspective on the fight he's making sure that he actually gets a vision on the important players so if he scouts the enemy tracer flanking he's gonna be ready to counter peel and, and fight in, in his own back line which generally is really advantageous for your tracer, which, you know, there are a couple fights where starting the fight that way, bullying out the other tracer, whether he gets the kill or just sends her running, then allows him to go hunt those backliners down with one less threat to worry about in the opposing tracer. So I think he has a great balance of that defensive and aggressive style. And that's what leads to these big cleanup fights where he's just racking up the kills. Like, of course he has the mechanics to do that stuff, but he doesn't force it. He doesn't like try to make that happen instantly at the start of the fight uh, and go for some hero play he sets his team up really well to succeed and then sort of the cleanup comes from there. So I think that just shows for any tracer player out there that those strategic fundamentals have to come first. And then, you know, if you have those strong mechanics, that'll be followed by big plays where where you're cleaning up. But uh, regardless of your skill level, I think it's definitely smart to play like Dante, like get that vision of the field, make sure you play, you know, clean up those defensive moments where you have a big advantage first, then look for the big aggressive plays uh, unless the situation is super desperate. So, um, you know, I think definitely props to Dante for having that diverse style. He's not a player who I think of as aggressive. He's not a player who I think of as passive. He, he knows how to like go back and forth between those styles and be unpredictable.
0: Some of the great plays that we saw from him, obviously uh, in combination with Hydration on the Orisa, was the halt into the Pulse Bomb kills, which, you know, Dante was throwing the Pulse Bombs onto the floor as opposed to attaching them to someone. And one of the casters had mentioned that they thought that might be purposeful because if you just throw it on the floor as opposed to attaching it to the Baptiste, you don't get that stuck notification that immediately calls out the, uh, the Immortality Field. Can you comment on that uh, as, a, as a strategy?
1: Yeah, it definitely is smart, uh, especially because Bap might not realize uh, you know, where he needs to drone. If he's not halted, he might drone for himself um, or, or just miss the drone altogether because it's, it's much easier to just look straight down, drop the drone at your feet. Very, very consistent way to survive the pulse bomb. That's what people do when they get stuck. But um, you know, with that halt in play, you're putting it on the floor. It's actually now like an aiming game for the Bap. He has to react quickly and put the drone in the right spot, not just look straight down, easy mode when, when you're stuck yourself. So I think what that does is just make it make the BAP's job a lot more difficult. Whereas we've seen a ton of Tracer's Pulse Bomb just countered out by the drone. I think that sort of little adaptation, especially with Hydration's pull timing, that he's doing it nice and late. So it's pulling people in right as the Pulse, pulse Bomb is detonating. There's no time to think if you're the BAP. You have to be almost ahead of the curve as far as the Pulse Bomb goes and the Halt goes. Um, it definitely makes the enemy's job harder, which is like, that's classic good Overwatch, right? Don't make the enemy's job easy. Give them any sort of distraction or complication that you can. And it's a nice little innovation on a play that we've seen a lot. We've seen a lot of combos in a similar vein. Um, You know, something like Meteor Strike on on the um, Sigma's Gravitic Flux or on a halt. Uh, And the same principle applies, right? Just trying to um, make it more difficult for the enemy Baptiste. Give him a tougher job than just looking down and pressing E.
0: So another one of the standout players that uh, had really caught my attention. Sparkle, uh, the Paris Eternal, obviously has a deep hero pool, but specifically I wanted to focus on some of his Genji play uh, from this past week. Um, what can you tell us about what made his Genji so successful? I mean, he it's like he was constantly in the thick of it, and, you know, as someone who wishes they were a better Genji than they were, uh, I find myself eating dirt a lot more often, and it just seemed like he was always alive, no matter what the other team threw at him, that he was always in there dashing through and picking up kill after kill after kill.
1: I think one of the things that separates Sparkle and really the other top Genjis of the Overwatch League is that they go beyond the, the traditional playstyle of Genji, which is basically farm the blade, use the blade, uh, and just trying to have a fast farm speed and then win fights with the actual ultimate. Sparkle has the fundamentals and the confidence to just make plays without the ultimate, which ultimately I think really is what defines a great Genji—that they're not limited towards the ultimate. Like, uh, you know, to be fair, it is a lot more straightforward to use like a nano blade, let's say, to, to clean mm-hmm. up a fight. But if you're winning fights without committing that ultimate combo, then you're setting yourself up not just to win a point off that combo, but to win the map, to snowball people before they have counter ultimates, before they have the proper responses to Nanoblade, uh, which is really how you turn uh, what could just be like a strong moment in the the match, a strong fight in the match to actually the game-winning play uh, is that you're able to conserve your ultimate by winning fights without of it. So I think it's really, Sparkle just has great fundamentals. Uh, on the Genji. I think, I think we saw that even before the Genji buffs came through uh, where yeah. Sparkle still had a great performance on Genji, still did a lot without the Nano Blade. Like that to me is when I, when I see that I know someone's going to be a top Genji player because the discipline to, to hold the Blade and win fights without it is what allows you to beat out those top teams that are going to also be conservative with their ultimates also waiting for maximum value. Uh, the fact that Sparkle doesn't need to commit the Blade necessarily that he can have a great performance without it uh, it just sets his team up for big ultimate advantages later in the game, uh, especially especially as regards like these fast dive comps where the, the blade really is the most important ultimate. Generally, you're farming nano faster than you're farming blade. So if a Genji uses blade, that's a big deal. It's going to slow you down a lot for the coming fights. So I think Sparkle's conservative playstyle with that ultimate gives his team a big advantage in the long run, makes the other team struggle to use their ultimates optimally because they're so worried about the blade that could come out at any moment.
0: Yeah, I forget who they were going up against, uh, but I believe this was in week one or week two of the summer showdown. But just what you were talking about, he had pulled out the blade, got nano boosted, the opposing enemy Anna actually slept him, didn't get to use the blade, and still ended up getting four kills off of it. You were actually casting that
1: match if I, think I remember it was correctly. Boston? I think it was or something. It like, might I'm have been. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah
0: but... but uh, Either way, love to see Sparkle on just about anything that he plays. And uh, going into our final pick for uh, one of the best DPS players that we saw, that was going to be Ons and his performance on Widowmaker. Now, you got to instill a little bit of the virtues of Anz's play in uh, the video that we did just the other day. Oh, excuse me. Uh, talking about their, uh, uh, the shocks dominance over the Philadelphia Fusion. But, you know, what is it that you think makes Ons stand out amongst the other Widowmakers in the league?
1: I mean, Widowmaker is one of those heroes where, like, of course you can analyze it and think about how Ons has great positioning, which he does. You know, he, he tends to play very defensively, position himself on the map so that it's hard for the enemy flankers to pressure him. He can set himself up for a pure Widow duel where all he has to do is win that duel. But... It's one thing to set yourself up for that, and it's another thing to be as consistent as Ons is in finding the pickoffs. I mean, this guy does not stop. He hits freakish shots that you just like, don't think he's going to hit. He plays these really tight angles that I wouldn't even consider playing a Widowmaker because I know I just won't hit the <laughs> shots on those tight angles. I know it's just too hard. There's literally no point for me to do that. But Ons plays those angles and finds the kills, and I'm just watching him play, and I'm thinking, like, okay, there's no way. Like, this angle is so conservative, so safe. The shot is so difficult. Like like why are you even here? But of course he hits the headshot and gets the kill. And it's just like, man, this this is like perfect play. If you have mechanics on that level, you enable this playstyle on Widowmaker that is so safe and smart that you're you're just enabling your team to not worry about you. And what that does is it lets the shock get super aggressive as a group of five, and they just have confidence that Ons is gonna make work with that space. And and he does every single time. So uh, I mean I think for Ons and Striker to be playing Widow and Tracer is truly terrifying. Like these are like when I think of best Widowmaker, best Tracer, I'm not a fan of like really decreeing who's the best because uh, I don't, I think it does matter a lot on patch, but man, Ons and Striker, Widow Tracer, like I, I cannot think of a better duo with better synergy and team coordination than those two. So if you're looking to learn those heroes, like watch their POVs because these guys are really insanely good at what they do
0: right. Dante, Sparkle, and Anz, anytime they have to be on the stage, they tend to be popping off. That's going to be all the time that we have for today's video. Make sure you check out our other videos. Yesterday, we talked about the San Francisco Shock and their dominance over the Philadelphia Fusion. And keep your eyes open for our next video explaining the Baptiste and Brigitte Healer meta and why it's so popular. Otherwise, head on over to CheckpointXP.com for a wealth of other content, video, and otherwise. And if you haven't already, make sure that you're following Jake. That's JakeOW over on Twitter and YouTube and Jake underscore OW on Twitch. Until next time, stay on the payload. Thanks for tuning in to the Owl's Nest, guys. Baptiste and Brigitte have been a staple for the Summer Showdown since Hero Pools were suspended for the Overwatch League. What makes him so strong, and will Brigitte's recent nerfs put an end to her high usage? Welcome back to all of our regular viewers, and hello to any uh, newbies that are uh, uh, tuning in here with us. If this is your first time visiting the Owl's Nest, make sure you hit the subscribe button and like that video. So, Jake, uh, I know that you love talking about the meta, and uh, once again, class will be in session as we bring out Professor Jake to explain to us why the Baptiste and Brigitte meta specifically seems to have been so strong and so dominant this past week in the Overwatch League Summer Showdown. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, all the heroes, except maybe Mercy, have very, very powerful abilities, whether it's Senyata's Discord Orb, the speed from Lucio, or the anti-heal grenade grenade that Ana has. But what is it about the synergy between Baptiste and Brigitte that makes them so good?
1: I think the key strength of these heroes, at least, uh, you know, in the current patch for the Overwatch League, Um, before those Brig nerfs do come in, is the fact that they're not so dependent on their ultimates. Like, a lot of supports are highly dependent on their ultimates, so that's going to be like Lucio and Zenyatta, I would say, are the worst defenders of that, where their really strong defensive utility primarily comes from their ultimates, and then they offer more utility and damage in other circumstances. Uh, Whereas, you know, for Brig, that is to some extent true, but you know The power of the armor kits, you just put those armor kits on your DPS and they're going to win the fights on the flank, almost assuredly, unless the enemy team also runs a brig, in which case it's even, but that's you know, what creates this brig meta. So the ability to just armor your DPS and make them almost unstoppable in those one-on-one fights on the flank uh, gives you a ton of map control, just, just creates a lot of efficacy on the field regardless of whether or not Rally is online. And the same is true for Batiste, right? Even if you have those ultimates, you have a Dragon Blade or a Pulse Bomb, Batiste has that Immortality field always. It's, you know, the Amp Matrix is nice, sure, high utility ultimate. You can use it to heal your team. You can use it to boost their damage. But that's not what makes BAP so great, at least in the current meta, I think. It, it really is that you know, non-ultimate utility on these two healers. Even if they have no ultimates, your, your damage combo is not assured to, su- to succeed.
0: So you had mentioned that the, the, the Brigitte nerfs obviously are coming through. Uh, we have a nerf to where her armor packs no longer overheal and give you the armor that you talked about, which is great for the flankers. Uh, she also got a, a small buff, 50 uh, health onto her shield, regens a little bit slower, and takes longer to start regenning. How, how much do you think that's going to affect her uses? Do you think that she's now on the out as one of the main healers in the meta?
1: I definitely think she won't be in the dominant position she is now. Like in the net, this is a pretty significant nerf. However, she's still a 250 HP support, uh, with 50 of that being armor, and she still has a 250 HP shield and a lot of control and, and boop utility. So this hero is still very hard to kill individually, but now, at least outside of Rally, she doesn't extend that hard to kill to the rest of her team, right? The armor packs are, are nice for healing people up, healing those flankers up, but they don't give them that unstoppable power where they're preemptively armored on Tracer. You basically cannot take that fight one-on-one as Tracer. You just need to run, you, you don't want to, it's, it's so incredibly low chance to succeed that you won't even fight that. So now that at least it's not armor, uh, it means that in the flank, she won't be just dominating the whole map by pressing E. She's going to be still, I think, very effective at protecting her backline um, in that no ultimate scenario is going to be a great choice. If there's a dragon blade coming in, you'd probably rather have a brig than anything else. If there's no ultimates in play uh, and you're forced to switch, then I think brig still has a lot of impact there. The bash and the boop, they're still really great against something like a blade. Um, or even a Tracer, just putting pressure on her. Uh, but I do think she won't be this perma-pick, absolute necessary hero. And to be honest, I think the fact that she doesn't change kill thresholds anymore, with the exception of Rally, which, you know, it's an ultimate, so it is what it is, but but a lot of ultimates are very strong. So the fact that she doesn't constantly change the kill thresholds on people by constantly armoring them throughout the entire game uh, just makes playing the game, I think, feel a lot better as a DPS player. You know, as a DPS, you get really used to, like, what does it take to kill a certain target? And... When that target is armored, it sort of throws all your calculations out the window. Uh, it creates too many, too many scenarios that are, are unique depending on do they have 30 armor, do they have 50 armor, do they have 100 armor, right? Like those are really different scenarios for a one-on-one fight with DPS. So it makes the game, I think, feel a lot more intuitive again as a damage player. So I'm really psyched on these changes. I think Brig will actually still be playable and we'll still see playtime in the meta. I think she still is a strong healer, uh, but that just shows how incredibly powerful she was before. That these are really big nerfs, and I and I still think she's a very playable hero.
0: So, do you think that we'll still see the Brigitte Baptiste as sort of like the go-to uh, healer comp for for most teams, or do you think it'll be more along along the lines of which teams feel better with a uh, you know certain comfort picks?
1: I think it's very possible we'll see we'll see Brig Bap. Like I think that still is a comp with a lot of synergy. You know, even with, without ultimates, can still be effective. But I think there also with these big Genji buffs, there might be room for something like an Ana Bap. Um, uh, or even an Ana Lucio comp. like I think Ana might really rise back to prominence with these changes. Because something like the Nano Blade is now going to be much more difficult to stop. Not only really because the Nano Blade is better. But because Brig no longer dominates the flank like she used to. Um, so you, it's actually worth running a hero like Ana. Because Genji is going to get value without the Nano Blade. It's going to be a lot easier. Before fighting armored targets. Very difficult on Genji. You're really reliant on quickly bursting somebody down. So that you can get that dash reset. And Brig could oftentimes throw a wrench in that plan. But um, if Brig isn't going to be played so much, or at least she won't be armoring up those squishy targets, then the possibility for Genji to find those dash resets is going to be just a lot easier and more consistent for him. So uh, not only is the blade going to be stronger, but Genji's going to be stronger without an ultimate at all. So I think, uh, I actually think Ana is probably the biggest winner uh, per se from this uh, patch.
0: Alright, well either way, it does seem like Brigitte's probably going to be alright. So all your Brigitte mains out there, you can stop crying. You'll be just fine. It's going to be it for our video today, guys. Make sure you check out the other content that we have here on the channel. Uh, This weekend we talked about the best DPS players from the Summer Showdown and took a look at how the San Francisco Shock dominated the Philadelphia fusion. Otherwise, head on over and visit checkpointxp.com for a wealth of other content, video and otherwise and make sure that you're following Jake over on social media that is JakeOW on Twitter and YouTube and Jake_OW on Twitch. You can also find checkpointxp at checkpointxp on Twitch and Facebook. Remember guys to stay on that payload.